1: Ah, good Monday. Jay Sandoz, Keith Break, the Jay and Key Show, talking all things ETSU and Southern Conference. and We'll break down Southern Conference football. It was two games that were virtually the same um, as far as how I thought they would go, which were two spectacularly um, blowouts with Mercer absolutely destroying and then it was also Sanford destroying, although I'll be honest, I thought maybe, maybe the clash between the two would make it A tighter game I certainly thought Sanford's gonna win but Sanford made no bones about it they were better Uh, Mercer bounced back from the Chattanooga loss and Furman chat was the game of the week Um, uh, Matt was only two games that were competitive ZTSU Wofford and then uh, it was Furman and Chattanooga it lived up to the billing and I think it came down to Mercer put a lot into beating ETSU Uh, weren't quite as hyped the next week I think chat put a bunch into beating Mercer wasn't quite as hyped. Furman had time to prepare for the mocks, and that ended that way. That being said, let's uh, talk about what we're paid to talk about uh, to start with, uh, which is ETSU and the Wofford Terriers. Yeah. And uh, the very, very, very bad take I had, of, boy, if only ETSU could get 100 yards rushing from somebody, and then Jacob Saylor's just went absolutely bonkers. Um, third highest single game total uh, for Buccaneer. Um, only bested by his performance of two sixty-six versus West Carolina, only bested by Quay Holmes versus Mercer back in twenty nineteen. But other than that, just a spectacular day running the football for all one Jacob Saylors.
0: He was unbelievable. I just absolutely phenomenal from start to finish of that game. And where is you think about okay, ETSU's one and six in the SOCON, where are they without Jacob Saylors? Where are they without this guy? I mean, are they even... These games, they're not even anywhere close at that point, I don't think. This guy has put the team on his back. He loves ETSU. He plays with so much passion. His vision has been really, really strong. um, And and he's grown a lot in the the mental, I think, aspects of the game this year, which you would expect from a fifth-year senior. And he was phenomenal. Phenomenal for ETSU on Saturday. Um, it just, you know, the defense struggled to get stops and they did get a stop, they forced a punt from Wofford's end of the field Uh, ETSU cashed in to take a uh, 41-34 lead then Wofford comes back, they tie it up, now you're still in the catbird seat because you've got the ball with about a minute left, you have a chance to drive the field, win the game uh, on a field goal and second play Rydell throws an interception in the flat and it just like, what more could go wrong in tight game situations for the Bucks, And would they even be in those situations in the first place without a guy who I think is... I mean, I don't think he'll get it. He probably should. Um, just because... E- I don't think he'll get it just because ETSU's not been that good. But he's already over 1,000 yards this year. Jacob Saylor should be an All-American. And... Uh, where would they be without that guy? I, I perish the thought of of ETSU Sand Sailors this year.
1: Right, and I think the big, you know, you had in the kick return yards, I mean, he had over 340-plus yards mm-hmm. of just total offense, and the spark, and I think it was interesting, there were Coach Quarles after the game asked about one particular run, and he said, well, it was all Jacob because we didn't block anybody. And he was able to get away from the non blocks, go outside and pick up, you know, 25, 26 yards and said it was virtually just him being him. I thought the offense is showing they're certainly, certainly starting to pick up um, the concepts, the philosophy, the vision of what Coach nugabauers wanted to do. It's third straight game over 30, second straight game over 40. First time ETSU since football has been back has scored back-to-back 40-point-plus games. The creativity, again, was off the chart. We saw Isaiah Wilson throw another pass. We saw the jet sweep work to perfection for a score. Uh, called at the exact right time. I mean, it just seems like the, the feel that everyone is – starting to have for, for one another. Uh, but obviously it makes up for a lot of eels. If you call a play and particularly work, but you got the eraser in Jacob Saylor's that can just make it work.
0: Absolutely. And I just, I'm playing back the second half in my head. I watched it this morning. We're taping this. It's a little before nine o'clock Eastern time in the morning. And, um, I watched it this morning with my coffee and I was just kind of, I don't know. It was a weird second half, to say the least. Um, you know, I guess ETSU got a couple of stops, a couple of opportunities to get leverage in the game. They got it. They got that leverage in the game, and then they squandered that leverage at the at the end. Um, but a lot of things that I was worried about came to the fore. You know, I told a mutual friend of ours um, on Friday. I said, you know. ETSU's depth at corner is not particularly battle-tested, and Wofford likes to spread them out and play a lot of 11 personnel. They'll play some 10 personnel where they have four receivers on the field as well. Um, this could be a higher-scoring game than people anticipate, and especially with ETSU's offense clicking, their defense a little thin on numbers in key areas at linebacker at corner, a little key, a little thin on experience uh, at corner and linebacker as well. I thought it could have been a higher-scoring game, and, and I was right. Um, Wofford found mismatches which is what I was afraid of. That they would find situations where uh, Javon Henderson was on Landon Parker which is how they scored the touchdown that tied it at 41. Um, That they would find mismatches for their other receivers to get touches um, on the football. Jetty got three catches for 90 yards. Kyle Watkins got four catches. Devin Matthews got four catches for Wofford. Uh, Kyle Penix. Got three catches as well. You know, these guys, Jimmy Wyrick spread it around. And he set the school record for passing yards in a game. And one of the the all-time great passing performances at Wofford. Now, granted, that's predominantly a triple option school historically. But still, that's, I mean, throwing for 400 yards and three touchdowns in a game is hugely impactful. And he was accurate as well. 25 of 39, which is about what you're looking for. You um, maybe like that to be a, a smidge higher, but not a lot. He did everything that they asked him to do, and it wasn't yak yards either. Like, he was slinging the ball down the field. His receivers were getting leverage on ETSU DBs, and they were able to make some really tough catches and tight windows, and he made some really good throws uh, as well during that game. Um, so I thought that was a possibility. I thought ETSU was going to be able to score some points, and there were some situations where. I mean the offensive line was just releasing down the field and smashing dudes in the face in the second level and that was helping Sailors get some uh get into some situations where he maybe only had to beat one guy or he didn't have to beat anybody and he just has to keep running Isaiah Wilson same thing he out in that uh, that bubble screen in the fourth quarter where he just he cuts it back toward the hash marks from the numbers and just runs in a straight line he's got a tunnel Run through to streak out into the past the back end of the defense and gets hawked late. Um, there were a lot of those plays out there to be had. There were probably even some plays that ETSU left on the table that they could have had in similar situations, but the offense was there. Um, I thought Wofford's offense took advantage of some stuff that we've talked about with injuries and players that are maybe not the players that you'd like to have in those situations right at this moment, for like Javon Henderson, I don't mean to pick on the guy, um, it's not his fault. I don't I don't see that touchdown against Parker as his fault. You could say, well, he didn't look for the ball, you know, he let his receiver do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. He's a, he's a true freshman. And if you're a true freshman, at especially at that position, especially in this league, there are going to be times where you're going to get cooked. And you're going to get cooked in... Uh, high profile spots with the game in the balance, you're gonna get beat and you're gonna get beat bad, and you just gotta have a short memory, go back out there, next play type mentality. And once you do that, um, that's when you start to grow. And that's when you know the Javon Henderson that we see as a true freshman is gonna be very different from the Javon Henderson we see as a junior, but um. You know, it was a game about offenses. Defense needed to get one or two stops. They got it. Then the offense, Tyler Rydell throws an interception. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Um, if Enoch Carter maybe ran the wrong route or they just weren't communicating. And um, it didn't even seem like he was really looking for the football. And then it was coming behind him. And yeah, Rydell was looking at him pre-snap, looking to that side of the field pretty much the whole way. And the corner just jumped it. And made a good play from, from reading the quarterback's eyes, and uh, that ended up costing ETSU the game. That was one stop too many to ask the defense to get. So that um, was a it was definitely an eventful game. Certainly a lot to process and a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, a lot of a lot of middle mistakes uh, in the first half. Yes. Elijah Huzzy calls for a fair catch at the four yard line where he oh, ran. Oh man! He started at the fifteen, ran back on a line, made an over shoulder catch at the four yard line and then then the next possession ETSU does get a stop but then Wofford downs them at the one now ETSU did go 99 yards but the first five possessions ETSU average starting field position was inside their own 20 it was at the 18 yard line which was similar mm-hmm. to what happened a couple uh, or last year where Wofford was able to field position to death uh, ETSU then in the second half Bucks got a little better field position and they were able to get some some drives I thought that 99 yard drive was something too I thought that that was just going to be sort of a statement and kind of turn things around for the offense. And they did yeah. get clicking from there, just, you know, having a Jacob Sailors, I think it was a four yard run to start. And then he bust out of like a 20, 30 yard run. And then, you know, boom, 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 three plays later there in the end zone. And so I thought, man, you go 99 yards, you get an opportunity, but it, it was a situation where it just didn't have an, have an answer. And, ETSU, again, had trouble getting to the quarterback, even the recon package, just for whatever reason this year, as the year has gone on, and maybe it's depth, maybe it's not being able to rotate certain guys, and, and, you know, they're not playing the 22-23 rotation. It's down to, you know, 14-15 guys, and they're getting the last few weeks all those snaps in and the bye week. I'll be curious to see how fresh some of those guys are coming off the bye week, but, you know, I, I think the depth is certainly an issue, I hearken back to Caronda DeLentz when he was thrust into duty as a true freshman against Marquis Irvin, against Mercer, and got beat a couple times. He did end up making uh, one play at the end of the game, but him getting that experience against that high level of what was an all-conference receiver back then, you know, kind of turned Caronda Lentz into what he is. I, I, and, and there was a lot of hype about Caronda Lentz from the coaching staff. Well, there's been a lot of hype on Javon Henderson mm-hmm. about that. And so him getting that experience, and, yeah, maybe it didn't go well, uh, particularly on, on the fourth and 15. I thought that he played very well in spurts. But him getting that experience and moving forward, and, and, and this will be, you know, the weird redshirt. You know, Caronda DeLenz played when that four-game wasn't a thing. So he ended up, you know, playing two or three games and, and, and lost that. And I got a COVID year back and all that fun stuff. But I think I can easily see how this and Henderson, who they are – pretty much it sounded like banking on him maybe winning the starting mm-hmm. job next year if he's able to play these last two or three games against teams are going to chunk it all over the field the last three you know and get that experience and yeah maybe he gets burned a few maybe he figures it out but if he gets that experience comes back as a redshirt freshman gets in that starting field side corner with mm-hmm. Elijah Huzzy on the boundary I think ETSU again is stacked up pretty good because Chris Hope Sheldon Arnold to be back. Mike Mike Price chooses to come back. He's got another year. He's uh, graduated already, so we'll see what you know what's in store for him. Does he go somewhere else? Does he just decide he's had enough football? Does he play that sixth year? Whatever, uh, you know, uh, Price wants to do. I'm sure yes. you know the Bucks will welcome him back. But the secondary with, with Henderson, I think, will be good um as they move forward especially with all the names that you know four starters and I say that because Hope and Arnold have kind of switched off and on who started this year four mm-hmm. starters back in that defensive secondary
0: yeah I'll be interested to see how they uh they they manage the safeties because um, you would imagine they're going to have another guy that comes in that's going to be you know relevant whether it's in sub packages or something um and maybe it's somebody that's already on the team maybe it's not uh and you want I really think you want one more corner um, I, I don't think you want to just lean on. It was like, well, we have Huzzy and Henderson. Well, yeah, you do. But as we've seen with linebacker, what happens when those guys get hurt? And, you know, you can you can bring them in and they might not work. Like the transfers, you know, they might not click or maybe you get some bad injury luck or something. But you can't allow yourself to be paralyzed by the idea of well what if this guy gets hurt uh or what if this guy isn't what we think he is you got to be able to you know pick your spots but add personnel where you can add players where you can and the rest will ultimately i promise you it will sort itself out in the end um and i definitely think uh ETSU has some opportunities for some guys uh, that are looking to play whether that is somebody that comes in comes in comes in here ready as a high school freshman it's somebody that comes in from the transfer portal this is this this defensive setup especially it's kind of an open book if somebody comes in and earns playing time um like you you will be like you you'll get it like you come in you play well you will earn playing time um i just don't want to see this situation happen again where, you know, one guy gets hurt and everybody kind of looks around and says, well, what happens now? What, now what do we do? I mean, we, we that's, that's been an issue for ETSU is, is depth on defense um, depth on offense. Hasn't been just spectacular, but it's been good enough. Um, You know, they haven't needed the depth at running back. Uh, Sailors has kind of been the bell cow. Uh, They've got good depth at wide receiver. Um, Offensive line, they haven't necessarily needed that a ton. They have had a couple guys get hurt uh, where they're on pitch counts a little bit. But defensively, you need more depth up front because those guys guys are tired. Uh, After all the snaps that they've played, it doesn't matter, you know, bye week schmi-week, those guys are just exhausted from having played as much as they've played. Uh, you're thin at, at inside linebacker, um, you're you're thin at corner. As much as we like the corners they have, there just aren't enough of them. And that group needs immediate reinforcement. So how do you, what is your plan, if you're George Quarles, if you're Billy Taylor, what is your plan to make sure that what happened to you this year does not happen again in 2023, and everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? What Armyism, no plan survives contact with the enemy, right? It's a hostile environment uh, out there in the recruiting world. But you need to have a plan. Uh, and maybe a strict plan isn't that valuable, but planning is essential. And I know that at some point, the staff will sit down and talk about how do we make sure this doesn't happen again if they haven't already.
1: Well, that certainly has to be addressed in offseason recruiting. I know this week, by week, um, you look at it, and and Coach Coral is going to have the guys, I guess, work Tuesday, Wednesday. Give them time off. They certainly need it after nine straight games. They're going to hit the road recruiting. I think uh, there's obviously depth issues on the defense. Um, Inside linebacker lost a couple guys before the season. Then they had two injuries and just a lot of things. Uh, Defensive line. Brought in a kid uh, from Arkansas, University of Arkansas. That didn't work out. He's already gone before the season started. I think that hurt them on the defensive line depth. Uh, still fairly young there. Secondary, young. I think they're talented. They're just young, need more reps. You discussed that. Offensively, you know, obviously, Jacob Sayers. How, how do you replace that? I think that's obviously the biggest one. I think there's some talented guys that running back, they're high on Amir Dindi. Obviously, we've seen flashes from Bryson Irby. Trey Foster just never really with that knee injury got kind of going so we'll see you know what he can do receivers maybe the deepest position on the field if you think about it um Rydell's got a couple more years uh, and then offensive line you know if you get Tavon Matthews back um uh, Chris Everhart played his first game and was projected to be one of the starters at guard big Fred if he maybe could uh lose a little bit of the weight that he gained from the offseason surgery certainly he's proven that uh, that line can get healthy quick uh then you add in a Braxton ship who star deer tackle come out so I think there could be some line depth that comes into play Mm -hmm. I think it's really on the defensive end but recruiting you know first year head coach how does everybody feel about that there's always more attrition I think after a first year head coach than any other how to use the portal how to use high school I think they'll traditionally because football is just different you, you you can't just always go in the portal like a basketball I like think you have to have some high school guys in to develop over time I think there'll be some key positions maybe inside linebacker for an example they may have to go to the portal mm. to get uh, a little bit seasoned guys there just speculating them you know I'll probably try to uh, this week during a bye week see if I can't meet with coordinators again and just kind of maybe see if they'll give me some philosophy overarching things now some of it is the right fit. I know they tried to get a couple inside linebackers in the portal last year and really didn't get them. So it's not just what do you want and how do you get it? You still got to get guys that, that, that want to come to you and got to be the right guys because there were guys I think they wanted that decided to go elsewhere. I think there were guys that wanted to come here that they felt like weren't the right fit. I know two of those guys went to a different school and already are gone from those schools. So clearly yeah. that's a, a sign that they made the right call and passing on those guys. But it's a song and dance now that we'll just have to see how it plays out couple games left, you know, playing for pride against West Carolina, last home game uh, of the year, and then obviously on the road. And if nothing else, just try to shock the world at that point in time and end on a a good note. And hopefully some of those um, ailing injuries will be completely healthy. I'm still not convinced Quinn Smith was healthy. Chandler Martin, even though he had double-digit tackles, you could tell was still ailing a little bit with that Mm -hmm. shoulder. Um, You know, will Steven Scott be back by then? You know, Tavon Matthews could possibly be back as well. You know, and how does that change the offensive line dynamic as well? So, a lot of things, um, really, to ponder and discuss that we can probably hit up a lot on next week. Um, but offense, you know, had his moments, rocking and rolling. They made the unfortunately the only mistake of the game. Um, even though the you know special teams made a mistake, uh, you know, as far as the fair catch. But other than that, you know, the offense looked. Pretty darn good spreading the wealth around. Again, a lot of different guys catches. Back-to-back 100-yard receiving games for Isaiah Wilson. Probably forgot to mention that as well. Um, Second like straight game with a touchdown for him. You know, they were creative and uh, uh, kind of the run game. Amir Dendy got a carry on a, on a jet sweep. We saw the Wildcat used for the first time in the first half, and Sailors able to convert a third and two short, taking a direct snap. Then the jet sweep for a touchdown to Anaj Carter, where they used basically Sailors as a decoy. And I thought it was interesting the way they set that play up. Great play design, broke it out perfect. And then lost in the shuffle was the block by Noah West and Isaiah Wilson. It's easy to look at Carter and his speed, but if he doesn't get the two blocks on the outside, then he doesn't have an opportunity to outrun the safety at that point to get to the end zone. So, again, offensively creative, defensively banged up. We'll see what happens after the bye week. <laughs> Who had Samford on the bingo card as the last undefeated team in the Southern Conference? I did not. I'm sure Keith did.
0: I mean, if you look at their schedule, you might say, yeah. But, I mean, this is just the circular firing squad that we talk about every year with the Southern Conference and the full round robin has begun. Because now Chattanooga has lost. And most people would have thought Chattanooga is the best prospect for a seed for the SoCon now, your last best hope of humanity, so to speak, is Chris Hatcher's Sanford Bulldogs. That is your best hope for a seed as things stand. And you might still I talked about this last week a little bit. You might still get another one because the league is up, and the rest of the country is kind of down. So it's just it's almost a perfect storm for the Southern Conference to potentially get two seeded teams. But it's just like, oh, man, nobody, nobody can keep their nose clean at the top of this conference. Never have, and so long as there is a full round robin, probably never will. Never
1: will. I, I agree. It's tough to run, tough to run the table um, when you always get good on good. Now, there's some fun aspects of that where all your best teams always play each other, where other leagues, they don't. And so it's always that, you know, what, what do you value more? It's seeing great games in your league or never getting a matchup uh, in
0: your league, but three, four teams get the playoffs. Well, it's not either or. If you have that many teams and that many teams getting into the playoffs, you're going to have compelling and worthwhile matchups. The CAA has compelling games every week, probably about the same number of compelling games as the SOCON, but the CAA is in a position to get more than four teams in the playoffs. The Big Sky has about the same number of compelling games every week, but the Big Sky is poised to get five teams into the playoffs. So I don't think it's an either-or thing, and I've talked about it before. I know I'm beating this drum quite a bit, but I think the SoCon disadvantages itself by having the single-round robin. And if you had those teams, instead of Chattanooga playing... Furman, you have Chattanooga playing North Alabama, and Furman playing I don't know an, another school somewhere. Elon, make it up. E- make yeah. Elon. Sure, you know you have those those schools. Um, those are games that those teams are both more than good enough to win and probably will win, independent of each other, and they both build stronger conference resumes. One doesn't have to happen at the expense of the other.
1: Right, but that's also assuming that the league would add quality teams. If the league adds the Tennessee tech Gardner Webb, North Alabama, traditionally three very bad teams to me, that doesn't make the league any more compelling because then you lose a possibility of a Chattanooga and Furman playing each other. That's like
0: saying, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that that's the simple answer is don't don't add teams that are going to hurt you but there are still quality teams out there that you can go find and you can absolutely solidify yourself as head and shoulders above the other conferences in the region and you don't have to rely on the the ups and downs of you know one or two teams in a given year to, deter- to be the bellwether for your entire conference. I-, I think the more numbers you have, the more quality numbers you have, the more likely you're going to have a significant number of teams rise to the top. And the SoCon, for me, this league should be expecting to get three to four teams in every year. And we're optimistic for three and hoping for four, but we also are still in a situation where If stuff goes right or wrong on the bubble, the SoCon could end up with two. Could still end up with just two in a year where the SoCon absolutely warrants at least three.
1: I'm all for getting multi-teams in uh, or adding multi-teams. And I'm all for hope it's quality. And uh, on several fronts. One, still basketball sort of the bread and butter of the Southern Conference, uh, you know, and I think especially since you look at when you lose Marshall, App State, Georgia Southern, I think that obviously changes the dynamic of what the league kind of is and, and has been. That being said, I'm all for adding. I've beat the drum to add. I hope they add right teams as opposed to. More of a uh, pissing contest where we've heard from: Are they private? Are they public? Well, we don't want another one from South Carolina or North Carolina, or whatever. All that crap. Like, let's get the right three, four teams. I think it would help tremendously. Not just in football; it helped tremendously in basketball. I think it would help. It would help in baseball and some other second soccer needs more time. I mean, all the Mm -hmm. other insulary sports. Especially as scheduling gets tougher, as you know, Power Five super conferences are going more and more and less non-con games. Then I think it's important to add and and add the right ones, but still to add teams and still for that. That being said, what a spectacular game in Chattanooga and uh, Furman! We had the game on, and occasionally would like look down to check the score. Obviously, we had a entertaining game with ETSU Wofford, so. It wasn't like the Robert Morris game where I was, you know, watching more of another team's game than our game. actually watching an etsu offer game, and then, you know, when I got a chance or a commercial break, would watch a few plays. And, you know, uh, let's just go with this real quick. Mercer smash, VMI, no shock. Sanford smash, Citadel, not really a shock. Okay, we've covered that. Chattanooga-Furman. Furman goes down, nice possession, botches a field goal attempt. Then Chattanooga comes right back. They turn it over. Uh, Furman gets a big play. Then Furman's able to get on the board. Chattanooga, you know, comes back answer with a field goal. Kind of a back and forth uh, affair um, early on. Uh, I'm sorry, Chattanooga did get a field goal off the botch. Then Furman came down. I thought with a nice answer. Tyler Huff with a a, a quarterback design run goes for 22 yards. And then Hutchinson able uh, to find Sam Phillips to go up 10-7. And then Furman goes back to back scores to go up 17. 17- Uh, 10 at the break and I thought this was huge the second half kickoff two plays 60 yards firm and able to go up 24 10 and Chattanooga really uh, a call and I want to say it was mid third quarter where uh, there was an interception and then I couldn't figure out what happened because again I was you know trying to do play by play for ETSU. Wofford had to go back and figure out that uh, the interception was overturned due to a targeting penalty. Mm. Uh, Cam Jones, the linebacker number fifty-seven for Chattanooga, was ejected for targeting. I've not gone back and seen the play. Good call, bad call doesn't matter. They reviewed it. Um, it was uh, called uh, as an ejection that gave uh, Furman the football back. Certainly. Uh, you know, it changed some momentum because Chattanooga looked like they were going to have the ball around the 30 yard line of Furman. But Chattanooga came back. The biggest story of this game, there was no Alem Ford, or if he was there, he was there very little. Uh, matter of fact, didn't have a carry. He didn't carry it at right, all. right. So he didn't I don't carry think it all. he played at all. Yeah. Uh, that was the, the big story. No Alem Ford and just 84 yards rushing for Chattanooga. So if you would have had information ahead of time, which we did not, that Alem Ford was not going to play and that Chattanooga wasn't even going to get to 100 yards rushing. I would have easily said, I think Furman wins the game. Now, I did call for the Furman win, but it wasn't because I had somebody ask me, Oh, you knew Ford wasn't going to play. I, was like, no, I did not. I did not. I, you know, Chattanooga doesn't call and tell me when their guys aren't going to play. Now, you may find this shocking. Out of, out of all the inside information I can get on teams, Chattanooga's not one of them that ever gives me insight. You, you mean
0: Rusty Wright, the most brutally honest coach in the Southern Conference, doesn't call and tell you, like, hey, this guy's not playing. Uh, I'm pretty tight with Jim Horton, or SID,
1: and, and uh, Jay Blackburn, and I assure you, neither one of them called me uh, to let me know uh, <laughs> what, what had happened there. So, uh, I mean, or Blackman, sorry, Jay
0: Blackman. Uh, still, neither one of those guys. As a matter of fact, they – You're to be real tight with him after you got his name wrong on the Right, pod.
1: well, I mean, he spells it capital J, capital A, and then a lowercase Y, so, if, you know, if, which I, I love. I, I may make that change to my name at some point in time. I also enjoy that he made me a credential a few years ago that – said, you know, Jason, instead of like ETSU radio or whatever it was, ETSU uh, lead um, uh, propaganda. (laughs) So I enjoyed, I enjoyed. Touché, touché. And since then, they have created a few other spectacular, I've tweeted them all out, because it's all, again, good people. But yes, they do not give me uh, inside information on that, did not know that. And certainly, I think that changes things. Now, I don't know, if Ford comes back, and here's a question that the committee always has to ask itself. All right, Ford is arguably top two backs in the Southern Conference. You know, him and Sailors are one and two. Sure. You know, we're going to obviously lean Sailors. I'm sure people can make an argument for Ford. He's he was averaging going into the last game more uh, rushing yards per game because Chad had played one less game. He didn't play last game. Obviously, Sailors went bonkers, so he's going to retake the lead in yards per game for now. That being said, a limb forward is a huge piece to that puzzle. If he comes back healthy and they run the table the rest of the way, what would the committee do if Chattanooga is sitting on that eight or nine are they a seed are they not a seed? Would a injury factor would that factor in if they blast, let's say they blast Sanford late in the year? would that play into effect with a limb Ford having a solid game where you're going, look, we ran for almost 200 yards in every single game except one, which was the game that our best player didn't play in. Now, I think the best player is Devontae Maxwell, but I get where, for the sake of this argument, that's, that's what I would argue.
0: If Chattanooga beats Samford at all, I don't know that the Furman game matters that much. I think the committee would give a team like that with wins over Mercer and Samford, which are... As of right now, I would say are fairly you're fairly confident those are playoff teams. I would look at that and say well, they're obviously, you know, it's just all these teams are really close together, but they were able to win enough significant games. They were they were good in their their toughest games. Uh they had a winning record in their three toughest games of the year, and so we can seed them confidently and comfortably because some of the teams that we're looking at for potential seeds are going to fall off the wagon. You know, I talked about Montana as being kind of lurking in that uh, that that group. Well, they just lost to Weber State, and they're going to have to play Montana State at the end of the year, which, based on the way things are going for them, might not go particularly well. Uh, you know, the Valley is going to have two, I think, that get seeded. And then what else happens as far as at-larges in the bubble, I think is anybody's guess. Uh, the CAA is still a little bit mushy. Because Elon beat Delaware. Maybe William & Mary is the only team that gets seated out of that conference. Uh, Incarnate Word's pretty good. Um, you know, you're probably competing against them. Uh, Holy Cross is going to get seeded. Southeast Missouri State just lost to Eastern Kentucky. That probably torpedoed their prospects at a seed because I don't know that their schedule was strong enough otherwise. But we'll see. Uh, we'll find out. I do think they'll be in the mix at the end of it all. But teams are going to fall off. And I think the Southern Conference champion unless it's a two-loss champion for some reason, which I think would be really difficult to do at this point, is going to get seeded, and you will be able to, as a committee member, if you are a committee member, I think you'll be able to justify or even hand-wave away a loss to another high-end SOCON team.
1: And, 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 I mean, if you look at it, Sanford seven and zero versus the the FCS right now, and what what looked like was going to be a great quality one to start the year. Kennesaw State, who is, I think, finally above five hundred or got to five hundred this past week, uh, trying to get there, and of course, they Sanford needs Kennesaw State to win as many games as they can at this point in time. Yes, but seven and zero versus that. Then you look at Furman, Chattanooga. Uh, each six and one with Furman losing to Sanford and then of course Furman beating Chattanooga if you look at that mm-hmm. and then Mercer's seven and one in FCS and their only loss obviously to Chattanooga so what helps I think in that argument is that their only losses are to each other in which all four teams are ranked uh, really in the top depending on which ballot you look at top 18. And yeah. end this week, or at least uh, if, uh, maybe I'm off by one, but I think it's top, uh, lowest ranked team is 18th, I think, at this point. Yeah. So Sanford, if they went out, would have a great claim to, obviously, with the perfect FCS record to get that seed. If Chattanooga were to beat them and went out, they would have an argument. The interesting argument would be if Mercer was able to went out um, and beat Sanford, and Sanford beat Chad and both those teams, what, what do you do there? So there is some fun talk. I do think if all of those teams, other than losing to each other or somebody getting swept out, um, and the only team that could be swept out would be Sanford. But, again, they would be 7-2 right. seven because seven I don't think they play this week. I probably need to check that out. I think they're off this week, aren't they? Uh, they uh,
0: Sanford has VMI Oh, because so, uh, Sanford played ETSU coming off the bye. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, so Sanford's got VMI. Yeah, ETSU is the eight. bye week team this week, Jay. I don't know if you knew that.
1: So eight um, – <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that would be eight wins versus FCS, and if they lost two, there would be eight and two with a loss um, at chat, and it would lose in that scenario to Mercer. I still think three is going to be in there. to would just be curious to see which two-loss SOCON team uh, would be kind of left in the cold uh, if it plays out that way. That would be my uh, – but I, I think it's shaping up great to get three in at this point in time. They're getting – a. a a lot of love, a lot of wins. The only losses are to each other, and I think that always helps. That's what used to help the Southern Conference, basically, back in the day when, you know, 16 teams were getting in, and it was it would hurt somebody's feelings because they would – at that time in 16 teams, they would never put four in. It sure. Was, they, they just – they refused to do it. And so you could basically have – and it happened a lot – six and two SOCON teams that on basis of whatever formula they had back then – And top 25 voting, basically it went, all right, we're going to take this team, and you would be the odd man out, uh, finishing tied for sometimes a three-way tie for second. You'd be the odd man out because you couldn't get four in. Well, that's changed. 24 teams, plus some other teams got elevated, not uh, playoff eligible, that are still considered FCS. And teams that are now transitioning up to FCS are also not playoff eligible. So when you look at those numbers, this could be a great year for a case for four teams for
0: the Southern Conference. All right. We're gonna talk a lot of basketball. We are. It's that time. It starts this week.
1: Are you ready for it? I am. I am. I can't wait. We're gonna to try to talk to Jordan King, Dez Oliver. We'll talk, break down the men's uh, for me. I may even see if Dr. Sander wants to wants to come Absolutely. in and talk hoops. He's Did he hoops just guy. call it a dome? He did. He did. He, uh, I would hit the bumper, but then uh, we have to start to close again. Yeah. Yes, I believe we may have a, uh, a mini inside the dome where we go inside his dome. To talk inside uh, the mini dome, even? In, yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll let you say that one. Uh, we'll, we'll do that. But we'll talk uh, <laughs> women's basketball, too. right? Coach Mark will join us, so we'll talk to her. Uh, we'll trusty maybe Courtney Moore somebody else. I think
0: so. Yeah, it'd be a good. One.
1: But we'll talk about the women's side, the men's side. They got exhibition games coming up Thursday. We'll have that for you on the Buccaneers Sports Network Thursday for the women, Friday for the men. Another edition of the Jane Key Show Hoops Edition coming up later in, later in the week. Yeah.
0: Oh, you gotta be kidding me.